Warning, the upcoming episode features triggers such as anorexia, suicide, and depression. So please proceed with caution. Bye-bye. Welcome to Out and Down, or some people may think of it down and out. Welcome to episode 7, where we are talking about the human condition. So you may be wondering why I have chosen to talk about mental health and the human condition. I started binging American Horror Story again, which had a huge cult following that stemmed through Tumblr. And I happened to have found that show through Tumblr as well. And I just finished season one, which is Murder House. And I'm now watching season two, Asylum. What I find interesting is that I was told by my therapist that I don't need regular help anymore after going to therapy for 11 years because um, I've made some major changes recently, which has allowed for my mental health to be very baseline and very healthy for my lifestyle and uh, my illness. So right now I am like mental health wise in remission. Like I don't have any issues. Like I do have issues, but I don't have any major issues that are causing me to be distraught. So I think it would be interesting to go back and research some early mental health treatment. And I have learned a little bit about this in some classes, but I'm going to do some rough translating of what I think is interesting. So isolation was the preferred treatment for mental illness beginning in the medieval times, which may explain why mental asylums became widespread by the 17th century. These institutions were places where people with mental disorders could be placed allegedly for treatment, but also often to remove them from the view of their families and communities. Cites CSP Global. Um, so these asylums, as shown in American Horror Story, were often, um, they allowed women, for the most part, to be put there by either family or spouses. Women would often be sentimental asylums for hysteria and religious excitement, epilepsy, suppressed menstruation, Whatever the men in society thought was unacceptable for women to experience is why they were placed in those asylums. Another treatment that was common within the 1930s and 1950s was electroshock therapy. The use of this treatment for mental illness changed every, with every medical advance. Although hydrotherapy were popular in the 1930s, these methods gave way to psychotherapy in the 1940s. By the 1950s, doctors favored artificial therapy, and electroshock therapy. Patients were generally prescribed to do two days a week of electrotherapy. Between them and the shock table was a long row of screens. The table on the other side of the screen held as much terror for most of these patients as the electric chair and the preliminaries did for criminals. In order to save time, one or more patients were called behind the screen to sit down and take off their shoes while the patient who had just preceded them was still on the table going through the convulsions, shaking their body after the shock was had knocked them unconscious. One attendant stands on the head of the table to put their rubber heel in their mouths so they won't chew their tongue during the convulsive stage. On either side of the table stand three other attendants to hold them down. The only comforting thing from those times was the sight of some of the quieter and more controlled patients comforting the terror-sickened ones. Whereas hydrotherapy 
patients were exposed to baths or showers of warm water for an extended period of time, having a calming effect for them. For this reason, they used it as a tool for mental illness. And these are cited on the Quest for a Cure site. But finally, in 1954, antipsychotic medications were introduced. These proved a tremendous help in controlling the symptoms of certain psychological disorders, such as psychosis. Psychosis was a common diagnosis of individuals in mental hospitals, and it often evidenced by symptoms like hallucinations and delusions, indicating a loss of contact with reality. Then, in 1963, Congress passed and JFK signed the Mental Retardation Facilities and Community Mental Health Centers Construction Act, which provided federal support and funding for community health centers. This legislation changed how mental health services were delivered in the United States, it started the process of deinstitutionalization, the closing of large asylums by providing the people to stay in their communities and treated locally. I would like to shout out JFK for doing that. Very cool. And as somebody who actively does take antipsychotics, mood stabilizers, and anti-anxiety medication and had gone through therapy for 11 years, like it's really interesting to see how much stuff has changed. And let's not forget the worst of the worst besides maybe being electroshocked and how could i forget this one is the lobotomy the lobotomy was used to reduce tension or agitation many early patients did exhibit those changes however many also showed other effects such as apathy passivity and lack in, of intuition generally lobotomies would cause the person who had gotten them to lose their personality. Um, if you don't know what a lobotomy is, it's a type of brain surgery that involves severing the connection between the frontal lobe and other parts of the brain. This was very popular in the 1930s prior to the two treatments just mentioned of electroshock and hydrotherapy. And if you don't know what the frontal lobe is responsible for, it is responsible for it's most responsible for voluntary movement, expressive language, and for managing higher levels of executive functions. These functions include memory, emotions, impulse control, problem solving, social interaction, and motor function. So as I'm sure you could assume, um, lobotomies, just horrible idea. Horrible idea. And um, I would like to move on and talk about the suicide machine. So, the suicide machine was created by Jack Kevorkian and was often labeled the death machine. Um, Kevorkian was sent to jail after helping people kill themselves. And he served a total of eight years of his original 10 to 25 year sentence for murder. Essentially, the death machine had an automated drip hooked up to an intrivious Essentially, it had an automated drip hooked up to a needle, similar to the popular lethal injection method of execution. Starting with a saline solution, the patient would trigger an injection of the sedative, a sodium-based substance, to put themselves to sleep. Shortly after, the machine switches to potassium chloride, which stops the heart while the patient is unconscious. So, this is a heavily like, debated thing that had happened in the 80s. And personally, like, I am on the side of it. Like, if you have, like, a major disability or or elderly and feel like you've lived life to the fullest, I think it's a good idea. But back in the 80s, this guy was sent to prison for this. And then it came out 
a month or so ago that Canada legalized suicide. So Canada recently legalized medical assistance in dying, otherwise known as MAID. According to Canada, it's a complex and deeply personal issue. The government of Canada is committed to ensuring our laws reflect Canadians' needs, protect those who may be vulnerable, and support autonomy and freedom of choice. It's also noted that this will not be put in place until March 17, 2024. So, in February of 2015, Supreme Court of Canada ruled Carter v. Canada that part of the criminal code would need to change to satisfy Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The parts that prohibited medical assistance in dying would no longer be valid. And eventually, Canada legalized um, self-suicide for those within the domain of psychiatry, such as depression and personality disorders. It does not include neurocognitive and neurodevelopmental orders or any conditions that may affect cognitive abilities. So, there are two methods of medical assistance in dying available in Canada. Method one, a physician or nurse practitioner directly administers a substance that causes death, such as an injection of a drug. This is sometimes called clinical administrated medical assistance in dying. Method two, a physician or nurse practitioner provides or prescribes a drug that eligible person takes themselves in order to bring their own death. This is sometimes called self-administered medical assistance in dying, which is very intriguing to think about. Um, to be eligible for this, you must be at least 18 years old and mentally competent, have a grievous medical condition, and give consent to dying. So the grievous medical condition does include having a serious illness, disease, or disability, being in an advanced state of decline that cannot be reversed, and experiencing unbearable physical or mental suffering from your illness, disease, disability, or state of decline that cannot be relieved under conditions personally agree with this if you do have some sort of condition that can't be fixed or like you've tried every mental health medication in the world and you feel like being alive is not for you i think it's a great idea because if you think about it suicide rates are pretty high right and i think it's just easier for the people in the family to be aware that it's going to happen and the person that does it doesn't have to worry about like the cleanup and I think it's overall beneficial for people of, of that mind state that are like, I do not want to be alive anymore. So I think it could help out a lot because the United States currently has suicide to be illegal. And it kind of makes sense, kind of doesn't. In my opinion, I don't think it should be illegal because obviously that person is going through some sort of suffering that pushes them to that edge. And... I just think that there are ways where it could be made like Canada to be assisted or we can improve our mental health care systems to make help accessible for more people, which would furthermore decrease like school shootings, like shootings in commercial areas, shootings in general, because there's so many shootings that happen and you see all these Karen videos and sometimes... I'll feel bad for the person that is having this like mental breakdown in front of people and being recorded not to justify yelling at customer service representatives but I think a lot of that has to do with like this person isn't getting their mental health validated treated and they tend to lash out at people causing like a huge scene and they feel like this whole 
group of people could very well have a better life if they had help to mental health care like easier and I also think that another thing that contributes to these negative thoughts in people in America is lack of media literacy. There are so many things out there now that can be misleading. For instance, I try to sign up for healthcare, but I'm not 26 yet. I was just browsing. I've gotten like 20 telemarketer calls a day and my grandma gets telemarketer calls and things that like older people don't know or misinformation. For example, let's take the 2020 election and really dissect it. Like, what caused this Trump cult to expand? Like, what caused people to believe this stuff that wasn't true online? Like, they used to warn us, like, hey, make sure that you don't listen to everything you read online. Like, not everything's true. And then the same people who raised us to believe that are believing this stuff with this Trump cult. Like, that the election was rigged, that January 6th was an act of freedom, you know? And it's just, like, such serious stuff to, like, dive deep into. Because you also see this in, like, teen girls. Like, teen girls will see these models with, like, perfectly toned bodies, airbrushed skin, and not recognize that that's not obtainable. And sometimes you'll even see these models, like, unposed or they'll list the five procedures they have done on their face, like, regularly. And a lot of teen girls, like, even myself, like, I grew up in the Tumblr area where anorexia was, like, very, like, common. Like, there was a lot of images of, like, people sucking in with, like, their rib cage showing and just people that looked like they had malnutrition models on America's Top Model that were told they were fat when they just had like more healthy body like they were considered plus size even though they were a size six and it's just so hard not to take everything you see to heart and it takes a certain skill to know like what's real like what's not real and I don't think that's something we really think about too often and I know this is a really serious episode compared to the other ones, but it is called Out and Down. This is a podcast about feelings, about chatting things out and really diving like deep into emotions, even though sometimes we don't dive too deep, but we still take a little dive, you know? We're still trying to be invested. We're still trying to, you know, get at it. And I personally just think it's so important to be self-aware right that's the big thing like if you feel you are not happy in life and you reflect inward and you don't know how to fix anything see a therapist or if you do see the things that you don't like about yourself figure out how to change them because I was close friends with this person who I'm not going to name obviously that lacked self-awareness and you try to tell them like hey these are my boundaries, and then these are things that I don't appreciate being criticized about myself because, A, these are my insecurities, and B, the words you're saying are just mean because it's totally different to bring self-awareness. Like, hey, maybe you should try this instead of, hey, 
you're wrong because xyz it's another thing to be like for example hey have you for example your friend's like hey i have issues eating fruits and veggies like i've tried and like this 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 nothing works and what like i would say is have you tried blending them and making them into a sauce have you tried the ones that have you tried everything that's widely available maybe you should try this one because it's more easily digestible you know instead of being closed-minded and not really exploring more options that's what i would have to offer somebody but i'm also an enfj if you don't know what that is it's a personality type i'm considered the protagonist so this would include characters such as like carrie bradshaw and i'm just the type of person to you know offer a helping hand and i can't be around other people that either shit on my advice or backhand me for my advice so back into my personality if you're curious you should go to 16personalities.com and take a test it doesn't take very long so i'm considered an enfj which i mentioned protagonist it's a personality type with extroverted intuitive feeling and judging these traits tend to have these people that exhibit these traits tend to have strong ideas and values. They back their perspective with the creative energy to achieve their goals. Protagonists feel called to serve a greater purpose in life. Thoughtful and idealistic, ENFJs strive to have positive impact on other people and the world around them. These personalities are rarely shy away from an opportunity to do the right thing, even when doing so is far from easy. ENFJs are born leaders, with, which explains why these personalities can be found among politicians, coaches, and teachers. Their passion and charisma allows them to inspire others, not just in their careers, but in the arena of their lives, including their relationships. Few things bring people with the ENFJ personality type a deeper sense of joy fulfillment than guiding their friends and loved ones to grow into their best selves. And that's within a few sentences in. And... I align so much with this personality type more than I would astrology. I feel like astrology is so, so, I don't want to say basic. Some astrology stuff I think makes sense. And I'm not here to hate on the astrology girlies. I am slightly one, right? But I think it's so vague. Like, so many things can be related to so many people. And you know what I've realized since I've gotten older? When I was a teenager, I really wanted to be a unique person, and now I'm finding comfort in how similar we are. Like, we all need the basic needs, obviously shelter, sleep, food, water, whatever. Communication, maybe that's one of them. And like, why can't we agree on more things? I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. So if you are an astrology girly, I will go through my stuff for that as well. So I am a Virgo. My element is Earth. My strengths are that I'm logical, analytical, kind, hardworking, and practical. My weakness is that I'm shy, I worry, overcritical of self and others, all work, no play. I don't think that's... You know what? I, I am kind of a workaholic. I do love surrounding myself with work, so that makes sense. But I also don't really see myself as shy. All right, let's dive deeper. 
Burgers are known for their meticulous attention to detail and their deep sense of humanity, which makes them one of the most caring sides of the Zodiac. Their method, their approach to love and life ensures that nothing is left to chance. Although they can be tender, they may keep their heart closed to the outer world. The sign is often understood because they lack the ability to express themselves, but because they don't always trust their feelings and tend to prioritize real reason over emotions. I, you know, I would just say that I'm a very reasonable person. I try to be more rational than emotional because if you are too emotional, then you get caught up in your emotions and sometimes you make a decision that could have been avoided if you had sat down and thought about it more. But I think that's also a flaw within myself. Like, I tend to sit down and try to make a decision for days on end. Like, I don't know how I feel about something until I rationalize and pick it apart. And that's just like the type of person I know. And as for more, <clears throat> and as for more mental health advice, if you're laying down at night thinking about doing something, just get up and do it. And I, I know that's easier said than done, but as somebody who used to work from home all the time, it's so nice to get out and go to the library and work or like a local coffee shop it is so nice. Just, like, change up little things so not every day feels the same. Whether that's, like, taking a different route home from work or taking your lunch break at, like, a different restaurant, walking through the park sometimes. Like, just those little things make me feel so much better and will often make you feel better about just, like, existing in the human condition. Because what human condition really is about is living in the moment, like, growing, focusing on your mental health and your wellness, like really write things down. Like it doesn't have to be perfectly written down, like, you know, like perfect handwriting. And that's honestly why I prefer to write in a notebook is because I can see my handwriting from different moods. Like if it looks like it's scratched on, it looks like I was in a bad mood that day, or maybe I was in a hurry to write stuff down. Or really just planning ahead also makes everything feel so much better like putting a schedule out if you work from home like today I am working on freelance stuff and then mark out oh I'm taking Wednesday or like Friday off and not even like personal growth but growth within relationships like am I checking on, on this friend enough am I showing how much I care am I treating my friends and friends family and partner with respect and lovingness am I really taking into account like how many people out there really do care for me and how many people I care for you know because it's such a mutual understanding that you should have like a boundaries b what you enjoy doing with this friend for example not every friend is for every moment in life and i think it's really important to remember that because there are friends i don't see very often and i know they have friends that are closer to them but i also have friends that are closer to me for instance i have one friend i'll see twice a year and it's a blast and we will sometimes chat here and there in between seeing each other but it's like those few times we hang out, I'm like, wow, like, I'm so lucky to have you in my life. Like, 
this person I'm thinking about right now, we've been friends for 12 years and I'll see him every so often. And it's just so nice to be able to catch up and see somebody and have it be so natural, even though you don't see them very often. And then I also have friends that I've been friends with since high school that I see more often than this friend. For example, the friend I'm thinking about, she's more of a friend that I would stay up late with and play games with and yada, yada, yada. I wouldn't ask this friend to go to the grocery store with me. I wouldn't bring this friend home to like a family party, you know? And once you start seeing somebody in numerous circumstances of, oh, I would go to the store with this person and go on vacation, yada, 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 that person is easily one of your best friends, if not your best friend. Because I don't know about anyone else, but once I really become attached to someone in a friendly or romantic manner, my love language is quality time. I want to spend as much time as possible with this person where I am completely undistracted and able to focus my attention on them. They are my main squeeze and I hope I'm kind of their main squeeze too. But if not, it's fine because not everyone's going to feel the same way about you that you feel about them. And and I think if we're all going to exist on this planet, we should try to do so in a way that is productive for us. Not work-wise, obviously, but also feeling-wise. And I know talking about mental health is very like awkward conversation like it's not easy to tell somebody I'm starting to see friendship wise hey I'm bipolar because there still is that stigmatism of well you're not a good person if you have this because you have a mood disorder like you could snap at any moment and if you've seen the beginning of one of my favorite movies Midsummer, that bipolar sister killed herself and her parents and I literally saw that movie on a first date with somebody and and I'm pretty sure it scared them away. And it's definitely a disorder that people think can be treated over time, but it can. And if you or a loved one got recently diagnosed with bipolar, like don't lose faith. Cause like when I got diagnosed in 2018, I was like, Oh, my life's over. Okay. Like, I guess I'll just dig myself a grave cause my life's over. But that's not really the case. Like, it can be treated just like anything else. Like, um, for example, if you have diabetes, you're, you're going to have that forever until you die. But that doesn't mean it's not manageable. And it's the same thing with mental health. Like, it doesn't mean it's not manageable. And chances are, it's going to get better in the coming days than it was for example, when there was hydrotherapy, electroshock therapy, and lobotomies. Like, things are always going to be improving in the world, even if you lose track of them. Like, it may be scary to see all these things online about AI taking over or or politics becoming really out of hand. Like, you really have to consider that there are people out there that are doing things for the greater good, and it's best to be not only a realist but an optimistic realist because not everything is in the shitter not everything is falling apart 
like it may feel like the walls are caving in because you know things are so expensive now and we're so separated because xyz you know like there's so many factors into why we are who we are as a society and things may be scary but they're manageable and that may not seem optimistic but I promise that it is and I know this is such a serious episode but I feel like it's just something to really think and talk about and really shed light on all right so I think I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up I'm out, and I hope that you're not down. Have a great week, guys. Bye.